0: From APP.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. That's right. It's time for another episode of Jersey Jump Shot. Show number 17 on the season, our penultimate show for this season of college basketball in New Jersey. Thank you for joining us for this week's show. Ryan Ross here with Chris Eisman and Jerry Carino. Steve Edelson will rejoin us next week. But guys, uh, as this season kind of comes to its its crescendo here with the Final Four getting ready to start, uh, we have a lot to talk about, not just for our predictions for the Final Four. We'll get to that in the second half of the show. But Rutgers and Seton Hall, even though their seasons are over, there's still plenty of moves happening, of course. Uh, we have ish, uh, things going on in the transfer portal, and and of course recruiting hasn't gone anywhere. So we're going to go through our two teams here, Rutgers and Seton Hall, in today's show and just kind of update you on what's been going on since the season ended and kind of how that projects for the next season. So, Chris, we're going to start with you and Rutgers because their season ended about a week ago or so. We went into detail about that in the last show, if you want to go back and listen to that. But uh, now that their season's over, of course, all of the moves begin. So what have we seen from the Scarlet Knights? Who's leaving? Who's staying? And and how's this roster shaping up for next season?
1: Yeah, obviously, I mean, kind of some of what we expected. Um, uh, really a lot of what we expected. But obviously, you know, Miles Johnson in the transfer portal. Uh, Jacob Young entered the portal. Um, So I I think that this is not a surprise. I mean, you you see college basketball players all over the country entering the portal. We knew some, a lot of players for Rutgers were not going to be back, the seniors. So it's not overly too surprising, but, you know, still going to be interesting to see what happens with them going forward. If anybody else, you know, decides to, to, you know, pursue professional opportunities or whatnot. But, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, not a ton of surprise. I mean, Jerry, you've covered that. I guess, what have you thought about what you've seen so far from these guys? So,
2: There's over a thousand
1: people in the transfer
2: portal already. That's like almost a quarter of the, of the division one men's basketball roster population. Uh, At this time last year, there were 600 and change. So, you know, there's a lot of changes in rules and plus coming off a pandemic season where it just wasn't, it wasn't a lot of fun for everybody involved. Uh, This is just an explosion that we're really expected. You know, it's jarring still, but we expected it. Uh, So every team's going to have multiple transfers. And it doesn't—it's not a sign of a team's health, or a, co- a coach's, you know, style or anything like that. It's just the way it is now uh, with Rutgers specifically. You know, Miles Johnson's going to be going to grad school, probably back home in, in California somewhere. I keep an eye out for UCLA there, and uh, not really surprising. Uh, we thought he might stay, but not really surprising that he's leaving. And Jacob Young, even though he entered the portal, he's really probably going to wind up turning professional. He's going to be 24 in. in uh, September. It's time for him to make some money. It's a limited window. You can make money playing basketball. So he'll explore his options, see if any blue bloods come calling, but most likely he ends up um, playing for pay, you know, starting in the uh, in the fall. And then we'll see about Geo Baker. I think it's up in the air. The feeling is that he might stay. He has some unfinished business with Mark Emmer trying to change some NCAA rules on name, image, and likeness. So we'll be hearing from him at some point about his future, but it's possible he will come back. And then uh, Ron Harper, it would not surprise me if Ron uh, tested the NBA draft process. Uh, I've seen him, Chris, you probably have appear in some some end of the second round draft boards. I don't think he'll I don't think he'll wind up getting drafted this year, but it doesn't hurt to test that process. And I'm sure Steve Peichel will encourage him to do that. So that wouldn't surprise me at all. So this is all pretty normal stuff. Uh, if, on the Seton Hall side, Shavar Reynolds, who is a you know a great story at a Manchester Township Jersey short kid. Went uh, from, from walk on to the team starting point guard. He's taking a grad transfer year elsewhere. Seton Hall's brought in some new players, including a transfer from American, a North Brunswick uh, native by the name of uh, Jameer Harris, who's a 20 point per game scorer who's going to play a big role in the backcourt. They're bringing in a couple of freshman guards and wings who are highly touted and going to see a lot of time. So, you know, I think Shavar sees the writing on the wall and, you know, wants to go out with a bang in his senior year and his post grad year playing a key role elsewhere. So he's looking around at his options. Uh, Miles Kale, who's a big four-year contributor for the Hall, uh, a 4 years, three-and-a-half-year starter for them, he's entering a post-grad year, and he has not entered the portal. And it's I think it's possible he's going to stay. Uh, so you don't know. There's a lot of dynamics behind the scenes that go into these decisions. And uh, Seton Hall's also had two other players who had smaller roles into the portal they're going to be leaving. That's just the way it is now. But we await word on which players are going to come back, and then we'll have a better idea of where these teams stand for next season. It is free agency the month or two after college hoops ends, and that's what we're in the middle of right now at a record pace.
0: Yeah, and it's going to be wild. And and the portal, the portal gives and the portal takes away. And, of course, uh, every team around the country is going to have... Guys that enter the portal and leave the program, but then they're also going to have guys come in, and it's it really is like you said, Jerry. It's almost the college basketball equivalent of free agency. And then too, uh, you mentioned too the the NBA draft. Uh, plenty of guys declare with really no intentions of leaving and the reason they do that is because they can come back even after they declare and they get some pro scouts to to analyze their games and to give them some tips and to tell them what they need to work on so it ends up being a pretty good learning and growth experience for a lot of these guys who end up coming back to college anyway so you'll see a lot of that going on uh, around the country as well for these two teams if you were to make a checklist of an off-season to-do list for both Rutgers and Seton Hall what would you have on that list? Whether it's getting a certain guy to come back or crossing your fingers that a guy comes back, what type of player, whether it's a specific name in the portal or a type of player that you want to get out of the portal. Uh, also, still regular old recruiting's happening as well. Uh, if you were to have a, an off-season checklist for Rutgers, for Seton Hall, what would be some of the the boxes that you would want checked on that list? We'll start with you, Chris. I'll put you on the spot for this one.
1: <laughs> well, I think for Rutgers, I mean, I think that I think replacing a guy like Jacob Young would be near the top of that list. Um, a, you know, just a guard who obviously can can play defense as well as he can. I think Rutgers also should add some shooting, um, but I think really adding some some quality guards could be a uh, big for them. Um, obviously, some front court depth. You know, you you're with a with a guy like Cliff. I mean, he's he. He played pretty well as a freshman, but obviously didn't get a ton, ton of experience with, with obviously Miles Johnson there. So that could be high up on the list. But but I think that really you need, you need a guy to play somebody like Jacob Beyond, a good quality guard uh, who can push the pace like he did, play defense like he did. Um, I don't know. Would you would you agree with that, Jerry? I mean, you think that that's yes.
2: In fact, funny, you said you said two things, and I think ideally Rutgers combines them in one player, right? A three and D guard would be the ideal thing. Rutgers needs a defensive perimeter guard to replace Young's D, exactly right. And also they need a guy who can knock down outside shots. So if they can get both of those in one player, you know, three and D, as they like to say in the NBA, right, Chris? If they can get a three and D guard, Absolutely. that would be great. If not, then maybe two players. You know, maybe you have two players out of the portal that can do that sort of thing. Uh, they're going to need uh, front-court depth, like you said. Cliff uh, Omaru is going to be the starting center next year, and he's ready. I think he's ready for that role, but uh, he's going to need he's going to need backup, and, you know, Rutgers doesn't have a whole lot of bigs, so they're going to need someone to help play the role he played this year for Miles Johnson, someone to do that understudy role for next year. So those will be priorities. Uh, they have a guy, uh, Jaden Jones, who was who enrolled, you know, in January as a freshman. They couldn't really get him up to speed or get him up to strength in time to use him this year. But from what I'm hearing, he's a very good shooter, So and he's a big guy, so he could help them in that wing shooting regard. But yeah, they're going to need to add some some pieces. You know, the portal giveth and the portal taketh away, and you got to make it giveth in this day and age if you're going to keep up. For Seton yeah. Hall, what does Seton Hall need? Seton Hall really needs a point guard, I think. I mean, Jameer Harris... He's a really good lead guard in American. It can be tough to make that transition from mid-major lead guard to high-major point guard. I do think they need, they're going to need a, a playmaking point guard will be a big priority for them. And then, uh, you know, they're losing Sandro Mamuklesvili to the pros. Obviously, he's a big loss, and you'd like to bring in another big. But really, a playmaking point guard is kind of what they've glaringly lacked that I think I, in an ideal world they'd bring in, in the, through the portal. And I expect them to explore those options.
0: And that's the thing, too, about the portal. We talked about this a little bit with these freshmen, younger players coming in with the portal and the way it is now and just how many players are in it. You have the opportunity to get a four year starter. You have a a veteran college player that can come into your program and immediately help. Uh, That's huge. That's something that you don't really get too often in this season with with the changes and everything going on. uh, There's a real opportunity for teams to improve quickly and you know the idea of building over two three years sure teams still want to do that they still want that staying power but there's the opportunity to get very good in one offseason just through this portal and and both but you got to get it that. you got to get
2: it right right because like right. it's fit is very important and so you know just because the guy's got talent and he's established as the division one impact player doesn't mean he's going to fit with your team and what you're doing and what you who his teammates are going to be and i don't i'm not going to name names but you know, there have been bad fits that that Seton Hall and Rutgers in the past have brought in and other teams too through tra- the transfer route who didn't work out and they can really hurt a team. So, you know, there, you have to find the right fit as well. And that's why coaches get paid the big bucks to assess that sort of thing.
0: And depending on, of course, what happens that will project uh, into next year and determine how successful or unsuccessful these teams are. So both Jerry, Chris, and Steve, of course, will be on top of this uh, throughout the offseason, so be sure to check in with them and if there's any updates for next week's show, which will be our final show, by the way, airing on Tuesday after the National Championship game, so keep that in your mind. we are of course, uh, discuss that on the following show, but let's get to the final four because the reason we're recording on a Wednesday is because we are letting the uh, the Elite Eight play out, uh, so we have our final four participants, two one-seeds, one two-seed, And an 11 seed, Uh, you have Baylor versus Houston in the early game on Saturday, an All-Texas matchup, and then you have the West Coast teams going at it, Gonzaga, and some little underdog uh, on a Cinderella run by the name of UCLA. They only have... (laughs) 11 national championships and here they are playing the cinderella role as an 11 seed going to the final four but uh guys let's just get into this it's it's a it's a interesting matchup the way it looks i mean i don't see gonzaga losing they're they're my pick to beat baylor in the national championship game i'm curious to get your guys thoughts about how we got to this point and how you think things are going to play out
2: so the semifinals are not very appealing really i mean because you have Two teams that have the games that have the potential to be blowouts, right? Mm-hmm. Gonzaga will be heavily, heavily favored over UCLA. And uh Baylor will be a solid, solid favorite over Houston. The championship game, if it happens, will be awesome. Gonzaga and Baylor have been the two best teams in the sport all year. And uh that's kind of what everyone's had marked on their calendars. They were supposed to play at one point, but COVID got in the way. So really that would be a treat. But I like this Final Four just from a historical perspective, right? I like that there's an 11 seed in it. That makes it fun. Yeah, UCLA is a big brand, but no one expected this team to be here. And they've had a wonderful run, some wild games. It makes it fun that an 11 seed's here. It's only happened a handful of times. Uh, and it's also, to me, very important that, that uh, there's two teams outside of the Power Five football conference structure in the Final Four in Houston from the American Athletic Conference, and Gonzaga from the West Coast Conference. Uh, and it's important because you hear a lot of whispers about discontent with the NCAA and the Power Five picking up their ball and breaking off. And look, they can't do that with and an stage-legitimate national championship basketball tournament. As long as the Gonzagas and the Houstons and the Villanovas of the world are making Final Fours, are winning national titles, the Power Five can't break off and have a legitimate champion. So I think this is a real important thing for the long-term health of the sport, and it makes it fun compared to college football, which has this awesome regular season, but a postseason where it's the same teams over and over and over again. Here you have some different teams. None of these teams has, I don't think, has other than well, UCLA obviously has a lot of titles, but Houston's never won a title, Gonzaga's never won a title, Baylor's never won a title. So, and and UCLA is the biggest underdog. So there's a lot of fun storylines here, and I think that's kind of the thing that makes the Big Dance special.
0: Chris, what do you yeah, I about think about this game? This
1: final four is, I, I think this final four is great. I think it's going to be really entertaining, especially like as like Jerry said, if we get that championship game that we're kind of all expecting. I like Gonzaga too, Ryan. I agree with what you said earlier. I mean, you just watch them; they do literally everything well. Um, I think Mark Few is a tremendous coach, but but still, I mean, just look at these four teams; it's a lot of fun. I think UCLA and Mick Cronin deserve a ton of credit. Uh, for the job that he's done and the way he's coached throughout this entire tournament. They've had guys, you know, step up, uh, you know, every game that they've played so far. So I think there's a lot of fun. I think it's totally different than what anybody expected coming into this thing. And and I agree. I think that that's, you know, the fact that we have two teams that outside the, you know, the power five structure, as Jerry said, it makes it so much more interesting, so much more fun. I mean, just ask Cincinnati's football team about what they think about, you know, trying to get into the college football playoff, you know, it's 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 difficult to do in college football, college basketball, anything that happened in the tournament. You know, you get to this time of the year, teams can go on runs and, and earn the right to, to, you know, play into the Final Four. So I think there's a lot of fun. I agree. I like Gonzaga going all the way and, and finishing their undefeated season. So we'll see what happens.
2: And Mick Cronin's a good guy, by the way. I don't know the other coaches, uh, but Mick Cronin's a good guy. He's worked his way up the ladder the hard way. He was assistant at Louisville with Kevin Willard. They remain really good friends. And, uh, you know, he's got a, there's a jersey angle here. He's got his associate head coach, Darren Savino, as a St. Anthony High School alum who got his start as a, as a staffer at Seton Hall and then was a Rutgers uh, assistant coach before joining up with Mick Cronin in Cincinnati and now moving with him to UCLA. So there's a cool Jersey storyline in there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is fun. This is going to be fun, but it's just how can you pick against Gonzaga? You watch them play. I mean, they play the game at an NBA level with that offense, right, Chris? So it's almost ridiculous. It's just, oh.
1: It's, it's hard it's to not... see
2: them losing, but you know that's gonna. That's why it's fun. You gotta play the games.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean personally, I've expected UCLA to get blown out a few stops along the way to the Final Four, and they keep proving True. everyone wrong. And they came from the the first four to the national championship or to the uh, national semifinals, the Final Four. Uh, I think VCU might have been the last team to do that, and that was almost what ten years the ago only, or so. The
2: only team, the only other team is VCU and Shaka Smart.
0: To go from the first four to the to the final four, yep. And now we have to give Steve partial credit because UCLA played Michigan State in that first four game. If you go back to our our, our prediction show for the tournament, Steve had Michigan State going to the final four, so he had the right game, the wrong team. Partial credit for Steve on that one. But yeah, I mean, it, there is so many storylines in this game. I mean, you have, like Jerry said, you have two non power five teams in it. Sure. They're quite powerful for non power five teams, of course, in Gonzaga and Houston uh, has the pedigree as well. And then you have the two one seeds, Gonzaga and Baylor, like Jerry said, the two best teams in the sport, the entire season. So I think it's going to be fun. And I, and, you know, could they be blowouts? Absolutely. But the teams that are there have, have proven time and time again that they're they're not going to get blown out. So I'm hoping for some entertaining games. But yes, I do see Gonzaga over Baylor in the national championship game. But we will see well, how that plays out. Let me and ask course, you guys something. Yeah. What
2: do you think of the What do you think of this format compared to the old format? The way the days, the games have been played on. I asked I asked people about this on Twitter. Got a lot of mixed reaction. What do you th- What do you think of the the Sunday? You know, the Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday format instead of. Instead of the old Thursday through Sunday,
0: I think. I mean, that Thursday at noon when you just had that first wave of games starting, that was just there was nothing like it. There was nothing like it. It was a holiday. (laughs) You're counting down the, the the seconds as you you sit at your desk at work or wherever you might be. You're you're counting down the seconds, and you know you're sneaking the looks on your your phone. You're sneaking the looks on your your computer screen as they're happening. It, it was it was a national holiday. I think for for viewing opportunity to to have the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, a little Monday night basketball, which you know that's historically a pretty good night for for sporting events. You see a lot of uh, national championships and th- and things like that happen on Monday nights. Uh, I, I money drives it. So if the if the viewership is there, if the eyes are on it, uh, this might be the format to stay depending on, on what the numbers are like there. But it, it is hard to part way with that, that Thursday, Friday, just wave of games that comes at you starting at noon. It, it's, it's an adjustment. It hasn't resulted in me watching any less than the old format. And I'm sure a lot of people would say the same thing, but uh, I, I guess it remains to be seen. I, you can't go wrong with the NCAA tournament. They could play it whenever they want. I'll be there watching.
1: yeah, I see the benefits of both. I mean, i I, I understand why they had to do it this year, but I, I do miss the old way. I really do. I mean, that like you said, Ryan, those two days were just so much fun. Um, you kind of you just park yourself in front of the TV all day, you know, morning and early afternoon until night, and you got games on. Uh, it was just a ton of fun. So I understand this year I, I like some aspects of the schedule this year, but I would like to see them go back to the to the old way.
2: Yeah, uh, uh, that first weekend especially. I could live with the second weekend, you know, being Sunday through Tuesday. But that first weekend, you know, give me Thursday through Saturday. I think we all agree that you're missing a national holiday that Thursday and Friday. So we'll see what happens.
1: Absolutely. Let let me just say, I mean, I think that this has been so much fun this entire tournament because we really, after not having it last year, I mean, it's just added. I don't care when they they could play the games at midnight. Uh, I'd be watching. You know, I mean it's oh, this has just been a blast and it it's like, you know, just to show us what we missed last year. So it's it's it makes us, you know, at least makes me appreciate and I think you guys too, you know, the fact that we get to watch this again this year.
0: Absolutely. I'll say Chris. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're we're definitely looking forward to the final four. And we've enjoyed bringing you the show all season, too. We have one more show coming to you next week. That's going to happen Tuesday, the day after the national championship game. So, of course, we'll discuss that. We'll update you on any news from Rutgers, Seton Hall, Monmouth and our Jersey schools. And we'll wrap up the season. Can't believe it. This is our 17th show. We have one more left coming for you, uh, guys, before we wrap up. Uh, quickly, let's go around. We'll start with you, Chris. Just anything that our listeners can read of yours uh, in the coming week. Yeah, well,
1: <laughs> I'm I'm back towards shifting toward football now. But uh, spring practice for the football team was supposed to start this week, but obviously they're in a COVID pause. But they're supposed to uh, to get that started hopefully soon. Um, so you know, keep checking uh, app.com dot com for more spring football coverage whenever it gets going. But um, I know Jerry has some some good stuff planned. I'm sure.
2: Yeah, I have I interviewed Darren Savino, like we said, the Jersey guy on UCLA staff and there'll be there'll be something on him Thursday morning, I think probably Thursday morning, later this week online. A uh, nice feature on him and his roots and you know how that's influenced where he's gotten to today. So it, that'll be a fun look and we'll keep an eye on, you know, the transfer portal and and the comings and goings and update you as they happen.
0: Absolutely. Be sure to follow along on app.com, northjersey.com. Follow us on Twitter. Be sure to tell your friends to subscribe on SoundCloud, Spotify, or iTunes and enjoy the final four this weekend. We will be back on Tuesday to wrap up the college basketball season. We're looking forward to that. Enjoy the games this weekend for Chris, for Jerry, for Steve, I'm Ryan. Thanks for listening to Jersey jump shot. We'll talk to you next week. Jersey Jumpshot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com.